All right. Uh, welcome, everybody, to this uh, episode of Streaming Absolutes. Today, I've got Brent Rambler from August Burns Red with me. Um, before we bring Brent on, let me just uh, remind everybody, the whole point of me doing this particular show is to kind of um, tear, tear down a lot of the stereotypes and, and um, dimensionalize a lot of these artists who are doing such interesting work uh, in interesting ways. Um, in an effort, frankly, to try and, and broaden uh, the audience, in the, you know, that, that is w looking at this music potentially um, for a lot of its value um, and emotional core. And I think that uh, August Burn Red, uh, Burns Red is a perfect example of this in a lot of ways. And they've got a lot of exciting things coming up we're going to talk about. Um, first, though, just a setup for people who may be less familiar with the band. Um, they've twice been nominated for a Grammy um, they've been nominated for a Dove Award. Um, they've hit the Billboard chart so many times. They've, they've gone as high as nine um, with, uh, with uh, uh, their, um, their Rescue and Restore album, which is actually my, my personal favorite album, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later. Um, but that just gives you a sense of, of who they are, as well as, as, frankly, being one of the forerunners for the whole metalcore um, sort of subgenre. Although I want to talk with Brent about that um, and how the how the band feels about that, so without further any further ado, let me bring Brent on and let's have this conversation. Welcome. Hello. Yeah, I appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, yeah, no worries. Before we kind of dive into things, how have you fared during this whole COVID affair? Uh, pretty good. I mean, I. Luckily, I had something to do. We had a baby in July. Oh, congratulations! Um, our, oh yeah, thanks. Our second, our second child. You know, not the way we wanted to go, obviously. Yeah. But um, at first, we were bummed that, like, you know, a lot of people won't be able to meet her right away. And then we talked to doctors, and they put us at ease and said, "Yeah, they can." And then, yeah. uh, but it was kind of nice to, you know, be able to spend more just time with the four of us in the family for a little while. Um, so that was kind of nice um, without having like everyone you've ever met, you know, stop by the house and, right. and say hi when you have a brand new baby. Um, that was cool. And then, you know, the band's been doing tons of cool stuff. We have always been a band that's tried to keep busy. Uh, this is our job. It's the only job we have. And, you know, we just, when touring got canceled, we just plowed right ahead with, okay, what can we do to keep making this our job? Like we, you know, people wouldn't go out and do other. Well, Jake started a gym. I guess that counts as a job. But uh, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> uh, you know, we didn't like go out and do other things. We just, you know, dove right back into August Burns Red and figured out what we could do to keep going. Yeah, well, that's good. And I want to talk more about some of the things you guys have coming up. But I want to tell you right up front, one of the things that I think is is really cool is. Um, there's just this sort of authenticity about you guys and you in particular, because um, you look like a software engineer that I worked with for 15 years at Microsoft. <laughs> like, you know, you look like a professional articulate guy yeah. that is building code. Um, and yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and you're so I don't know how to do any code period. <laughs> so like but, I, we started, we started a Shopify store, like when this all started, cause our, the website, that we used to run our web store and had like our official web store through, they went bankrupt in like March or something like that. Oh no. And so we kind of found that out. They didn't really tell anyone. We just, we just found out when we were contacting them and no one was replying. Oh, that's terrible. Um, so, uh, 
Yeah, because we were like, hey, we got tons of tour merch that we could probably sell to make some money, and literally no one was replying. But anyway, so I opened us up a Shopify store, and I'm in there, and I'm like, all right, I do a lot of stuff on eBay. Like, I uh, do a lot of comic book trading and things like that. So I do a lot of stuff on eBay. I'm like, I can figure this out. I can know, I can figure out how to sell stuff. But then, like, that website goes so deep into code and, like, all this stuff. And I was like, I'm just going to not do that. So we have probably the most, like, simple web store you've ever seen in your life because of that. Like, JB and I, the other manager, were just like, we don't know how to do any of this stuff. We're just going to put pictures in a store and hope people buy it. (laughs) Frankly, it's kind of all you need. I I know that that's, like, probably the the top commerce uh, engine on the web. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I looked at your store. I think it's fine. Like it, you see what you. It's easy. Them. Yeah, like that's that's the thing. And we was kind of said, you know, we had the opportunity. People were like, "Oh, you can hire this person to make you a website." We're like, "How much does that cost?" We're like, "It'll be about like ten thousand dollars if you want to do what this band did." And I'm like, "How many more T-shirts did they sell because their website has a video on the background?" Right. Yeah. Did they sell ten thousand dollars extra because of that? I don't know. I hope they did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of fit and finish stuff that, that looks great and you pay for, yeah. but your fans aren't looking for that. They want to look to see what the cool merch is and, you know. And they want the site to be fast. They want to click yeah. and check out and be done. Yeah, and, then, and they want it to be just a simple mobile experience because that's where they're usually looking yeah. at stuff. Um, yep. So one last uh, sort of. I know that we'll talk about some of the other things you've been doing, but with any of this uh, extra time, I mean, you probably have even less time now that you have a second child, but have you, yeah, yeah. have you spun up any old records or found any new records that you've been enjoying in, in your spare time? Oh yeah. I mean, I've actually probably listened to more music now than I have in a while. I, I cycle a lot like road bike. And so like, I just, you know, plug in headphones and I kind of go, I know people say it's unsafe, but I have a thing that I can push in my ears so that if I need to, I can hear all the traffic around me. But, um, but yeah, I, I listen to music constantly doing that. And, you know, that's when I take time to like listen to music and then also like write a lot of lyrics. I'll just pull over on the side of the road and write some write words if I get ideas down and things like that. But um, I've listened to a ton of Converge lately. Um, it's funny. I was telling our bass player, Dustin yesterday, who also cycles, He's like, do you listen to music when you ride? I'm like, yeah. And I was like, but nothing's slow, because then you're going to pedal slow. I was like, <laughs> I listen to a lot of Converge, because it's just, you know, as fast as possible the whole time. Yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, have you always been a cycler, or is that a, a recent thing? Uh, I probably started riding in, like, 2012, 2013. So coming up on 10 years soon. Are you able to do that on the road at all, or is that something you do when you're not touring? Yeah. Oh yeah, I'll bring my bike sometimes. Um, I had brought my bike on the Killswitch tour we were on, and I was literally out riding my bike in Grand Rapids when I got the call that we were going home, and I was like, "Oh, oh, great, all right." <laughs> so, um, but yeah, uh, I tried riding on tour. I one time, one of our last European tours, I showed up, and our bass player and I, we just went and bought bikes i bought a bike i always wanted to have and i rode it all around europe on that whole entire tour it was like a festival run so we were out like in you know fields so yeah man i'll just show up to the venue and just go ride and ride and ride one day i found myself on the border of like austria and hungary (laughs) i took a picture with the 
I took a picture with the border guard because it was literally like one of those situations where you're riding up and, and it's like in the fu- middle of nowhere and there's just a shack and it's the border and there's just a guy standing there. And I was like, are you a border guard? He's like, yeah. I was like, can you take my, can you take a picture with me? And he's like, I can't take a picture with you. I'm like, fine. Can you take a picture of me at your shack at this border? And he was like, sure. That's cool. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I did that. And then, you know, the last day of that tour, I walked to a bike shop with my bike and I just sold it back to them. So oh, yeah. that was, that was a neat experience. So I really liked that, but, but yeah, I can, I take it with me sometimes. Support tours is easier. Uh, headline tours, we usually do meet and greets and stuff. And that takes up like the couple hour time span where I would probably ride for the day. Yeah. That's kind of impressive that you do a ride and then, and then play. That's a lot of energy, man. Yeah. Well, it take, that's the thing. Like, there's a whole thing with cycling that it really just like boosts your energy because it's a big like serotonin boost. Oh, like yeah. the longer you go, and like it's a big serotonin boost. So like a lot of times when you're done, you're just like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's do something else. Well, um, hey, listen, let's. Um, by the way, I, one quick question: When you hit that border crossing, did they ask for your papers? Like, did, would no, you, it, no, they got. Is ceremonial like, maybe? I, yeah, it's just like, can I just ride past you and then ride back? And he's like, yeah, that's fine. He's like, just come back. And I was like, all right, I will. I was like, I'm on a bike. I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It conjured this image of, you know, needing to produce papers to, to cross a yeah. border. Um, well, let's talk about some of your music. Um, one of the things that I love so much about August Burns Red is – um, that and I think that that distinguishes it even inside the broader metalcore subgenre is you know on top of these just really crushing rhythms that you write um, there it, it's two things for me it's the there's there's the leads that kind of have it lend this musicality to it but it's also also the chord progression choices you make uh, that prevents it from me from becoming droning and and becomes musically really really interesting. Um, and it's all over. There's lots of examples of this that I, I could give you. But I'm wondering, like, is this uh, is this songwriting approach? Was this like deliberate? Like we want to this is how we want to fashion this or to just this just grow naturally out of your own songwriting, you know, organically? I think it kind of grew pretty naturally. I mean, when we first started with Thrill Seeker, that record is completely linear. Like there's barely any parts that repeat the whole entire record so as far as writing chord progressions go like we're just kind of going yeah and so it just kind of went from there and we were just this completely linear band and then messages kind of continued that in constellations we finally hit some spots where we might repeat a little bit um and for us we've always listened to the kind of different styles of music and i think that just kind of gets incorporated a lot into the band and it was funny. We listened to like the Get Up Kids a lot growing up, and then we would listen to like Coalesh at the same time. And the once and like they cover each other one time, and we were just like, "See, all these indie emo bands that we like, they're all just hardcore bands playing on the clean channel." Like, and so that's just kind of where we kind of grew up listening to music. And I think we have a little bit different progression and sound because of that. Um, yeah. I think our roots just kind of lent to that in in that scenario do you um i'm I'm not a big fan of um labels and by that i mean record labels i mean like the use of terms to categorize music i understand their their 
marketing efficacy and like yeah. easy identification for fans. But do you guys still um, embrace metalcore as a moniker for you, or do you feel like you've kind of evolved in in ways that are not only that? Uh, I say like there was a time when metalcore was kind of getting a bad taste in people's mouths. I think you had, you know, a really watered down genre that was just like exploding with millions of what seemed like millions of bands that yeah. all just kind of sounded the same and had their verse chorus verse chorus structure and then you know they would play a metal riff then sing a little bit and then play a metal riff and then sing a little bit and you know it it just kind of really did put a stale taste and there was a maybe a moment where we were just kind of eh, i don't know about that but like at this point we're just like yeah you know we're a metalcore band and i think what you've seen in the last you know five years with a lot of metalcore bands is that you know they've kind of evolved into their own sounds each individually the ones that were around when we first started like are kind of still around and like the big bands that you've heard of for a long time are still around and that some of them have evolved out of the genre completely and some of them you know have really made their stamp on like this is our sound you know like Good Parkway Drive in the beginning sounded more like Unearth, and now they, you know, sound like an arena rock band with like metalcore still sprinkled in there a little bit. Yeah. And then you have your Bring Me the Horizons that were like a deathcore band that are now just a hard rock band. And like we've kind of we were just a straight up linear band. Now we have, you know, more repeating parts. We've started incorporating tons of outside genres into our music. And you know, I think you had bands that were around in the beginning that just kind of have now risen to, I don't know, the top and just kind of sit there as far as metalcore bands go. Yeah. I, I read an interview where you were talking about uh, the degree to which uh, some metalcore fans uh, kind of spend a lot of time in sort of a nostalgia listening to early records that yeah. they came to the... Do you find that true with with um, with August Burns Red or um, are you are, do you feel like you're, you're pulling in new fans as you grow? We, you know, we have no reservations or I guess not reservations. We have no, we aren't unrealistic about the fact that like our old records are nostalgic to people. Yeah. And yeah. so instead of saying like, we're ashamed of those records or anything, cause we're not like, we put those out. We think they're good records, especially for the time we put them out. And so for us, you know, we're happy to do a 10 year tour. We're happy to do the 15 year live stream for Thrill Seeker. We're happy to do this 10 year live stream we have coming up for Leveler and the 10 year tour for constellations we're happy to do those things because our fans have a lot of our fans have stuck with us like this whole time and we see that now like our record that came out in 2015 was the fastest record we ever had reached 100,000 records sold and so like that's just kind of like our fans have stuck with us and they're going to keep going and now with streaming like each new record we put out streams more and more but we're happy to do those anniversary things because what that does is it is it brings the people back who maybe did stray away a little bit and they're like, Oh, cool. They're doing this. And then they, you know, end up usually checking out the newer material. Um, so there's advantages for the fans. It's really fun for them. It's cool to us to revisit the records. And then it also, you know, usually loops in a good amount of people who maybe have stepped away from the band or the genre as a whole a little bit. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, part yeah. of my life is spent in fiction and, um, there's a lot to be said for for writers, and I think this is true of all creatives. With putting out new stuff, is they have all this catalog, so yeah. Um, 
uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, let me let me um, switch gears a little bit on you and talk a little bit, ask you a little bit about your songwriting process. Um, I was digging around on some of the things you've already said about this, and it sounded mm-hmm. to me like, at least with some of the records, it, if we just if we separate the lyrics for a minute, um, mm-hmm. you have a collaborative process there. Is that is mm-hmm. that true, or are there a few of you that kind of carry most of the weight for that part of the, the writing? Uh, for a long time, JB was the primary songwriter for the band, and then now we've seen, as far as the music goes, and then now we've seen Dustin kind of step in, and Dustin's a fantastic guitar player, and he can also play drums. Um, his entire side project is just a one-man band thing. Um, and he's really come in and started writing a ton of guitar parts. He wrote pretty much half of Guardians. And then, uh, so they've kind of taken the charge musically. And for me, for the past 12 years, I've spent most of my time writing words. Um, I handle the lion's share of the words and then Matt does a lot of the rest. And then Jake, that gives Jake time to actually sift through the words and pick the ones he likes and write his vocals. Um, so in the end, everyone does have a writing part, but musically, you know, Dustin and JB have really taken on the lion's share of the, of the music writing. And that's just kind of come about naturally. Um, and it's kind of nice, you know, we got, 15 years into our career before Dustin just like exploded as this songwriter that sounds a little bit different than JB. So it's given the music like yeah. a pretty fresh sound, which is awesome. Yeah. That's, uh, that's like, um, unearthed gold that just kind of yeah. popped up for you guys. <laughs> yeah, there. pretty much. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. well, so then there's, there's, um, the other side of the process that I read about, it sounds like a lot of the writing takes place and then you arrive at the studio to track it. Um, yep. and that you're, you're kind of learning the songs when you get to the studio. Is that, is that the case? Yeah. I mean, so we, we write everything out. We use, you know, a software and we have forever called Tabit. It's just super yeah. archaic, like MIDI software. That sounds like a video game when you put the songs in. So every should release an album really that, that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've released, we've released some of the mini tracks. We oh, have put them on like seven inches and stuff like that. Yeah. That's awesome. It makes but it's awesome for us because it makes every song sound super epic. So you get really stoked after hearing like every single track. But uh, but yeah, it. so we use that to write. And then at, we used to all get together and learn every single song from start to finish. And we come to band practice and just play through every single song start to finish. And we kind of got to the point where we're like, what the heck is the point of this? <laughs> like we'd all be, we were like, we'd all be better served if we were just at home practicing our parts and like getting better doing that. Like, you know, chances are we were like, I think when rescue and restore was, we, we started to just be like, there's no point to this. We're rarely going to play half these songs live because of how many songs we have. Right. So like, what's the point of this? We can all get better at like playing these parts if we take more time at home. So that's kind of what we did, and it has proved out to be a better situation. Everyone comes to the studio like much more prepared to play, and like it's it's just worked out a lot better that way to just have the songs in front of us. If you want to edit the song, you have them right in front of your face. Um, if you got a part that you want to drill, it's like right there. You set set it to repeat over and over again. So it that's that's been the best way for us to do it. But yeah, you know, for the most part, we get to the studio and we're like, all right. 
let's check out these riffs and track them. Hey, so one quick sort of double click question then with Tabit. I've not I've not used that. I use Pro Tools, which is sometimes a pain, but um, oh yeah, that's that's a different level. Tabit is literally just for guitar tablature. So when you're doing that, are you using the guitar uh, as a MIDI input to get to get it down, or are you actually writing it in MIDI and then learning to play it? You literally just sit there with like oh, when I say archaic. It's as archaic as possible. It's literally six lines on a screen, and you just type in three, four, oh. five, like whatever you <laughs> that's want. That's awesome. And, and then it's like ding, ding. Dang, like it's it makes the sound for you but it's yeah it's it's really okay but we've gotten pretty fast at using it so it's just kind of what we're used to and what we use hey, it's literally like the you know worst possible version of guitar pro that you can think of <laughs> i i honestly hadn't heard of it till you said it now i'm gonna yeah. have to go look yeah. it up just for fun you can't even use it on a mac like you Is have that right? to no, it's only it's. I think the company who made the software stopped existing like a decade ago. Like you can't you you can't get it. We might be the only people still using Tabit. It's possible. You better like have a, a PC that you don't use for anything else because if it you lose it, you you're that good. is. We all have that pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Um. Good. Well, then let's let's transition and talk um about some of the records. Um. I mentioned up front that. One of, if not my favorite, one of my favorites is Rescue and Restore. And I think that's because I'm a huge progressive metal fan. And yeah. I feel like that, that, that record maybe has more of that than some of the others. Um, I don't know that, and music's always personal, so others could have a different opinion. Mm -hmm. But I, I wondered, um, do you have influences from the progressive metal community that you listen to for inspiration or ideas? Yeah, I mean, we all love, like, Between the Buried and Me um like that's who that was one of the first bands that really got us into like a super linear just progressive sound and matt our drummer um loved dream theater like he was a big portnoy fan and um so like we kind of have like that like a little bit of a progressive influence and every once in a while like one of those kind of records just like pops in we're like wow i really like this like animals as leaders is a fantastic band and right. There's a lot of bands like that that I'm like, yeah, this is really great and cool stuff. And I agree that Rescue and Restore probably showcases that more than a lot of our records um, do. And it's a person that's my personal favorite record too, but for different reasons. But um, but yeah, I agree that that record does have a definitely more progressive nature to it. So um, th the other thing I like a lot about that, I love. I, there's a whole set of questions I want to get to around yeah. positivity inside your music. But this particular record showcases lyrically some addressing some heavier themes. Um, yeah. Was that, you know, I, I, I love to try and get at this idea of if this is intentional or if this is just a reaction to things going on in your lives or in the world. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, that's one of the reasons I like that record so much is I think lyrically it's really deep and it's um, it's definitely a lot of, you know, interesting and personal topics on that record that you know we wouldn't have maybe touched another i don't know for some reason that record lyrically just has a different feel to it and um i'm not quite sure why that is uh i know like at the time i had just found that like there's i went through a pretty stressful time in my life but it can't be it wasn't 
when I was writing lyrics, like exactly, because I kind of write constantly. I'm constantly writing words. Um, so I think it's more of a coincidence that it all just kind of feels a little bit more emotional. Yeah. But like you have, I forget what it was. I wrecked my car, my dog died, and I found out I was having a baby all in one month. And that was literally two months before we recorded that record. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we touched on a lot of themes. The song Treatment is one of my favorites. Um, you know, the one of the original lines we, I had in there is stop focusing on what happens when we're alive and start, you know, or st stop focusing on what happens. Where, stop focusing on where we go when we die. Start helping others while we're still alive. Like it just kind of, you know, I think that a lot of religious communities in general just don't treat each other the best or, you know, people outside their community the best. And they're so worried about where they're going to go when they die that they don't, seem to care about treating others well while they're still living and like that was a big topic for me and that was one of the first big like questioning religion songs that we had and I think it hit people a little hard and that was cool to me I liked that and then um you the song echoes and that's just about just like stress in general um it's called echoes because of the echo test which is just a stress test that you can get done to your heart. Um, and then, you know, just like lyrically, there's a lot of good and deep topics on that record. There are. I mean, it um, themes of depression and, and loss and grief. Um, mm -hmm. And this th that isn't particularly why I dig it as much. Um, I think it's really, really cool, and I love the sort of departure. Um, but there's it, – it, I think it was a – it was a, a bit of a departure thematically from some of your other material. Um, yeah. I think that that's, whether it's done intentionally or not, I think that's really healthy for, for bands and, uh, and for, for real fans of bands. Um, yeah. Um, but, but having said all of that, I do want to talk about um, the positivity that, that seems to characterize most of your music. Um, mm -hmm. And there's, there's sonically, there's, you know, you're, you're playing in a genre that's really, really aggressive from mm -hmm. the way that the, the rhythms go with, with uh, drums and rhythm, guitar, and bass to the vocal stylings, of course, which are really aggressive, but, but tempered in some way with, with how you guys um, orchestrate the song, at least for me. Um, yeah. But then there's the, the, the counterpoint to all of that for me with your music is that lyrically, in the main... The, it's you treat uh, a lot of sort of very uplifting and edifying themes, which is not, I, yeah. I think, I don't think that's the, the general rule for metal all up. And that's not a criticism because I think metal's job is not to do any one thing, but yeah, it's still true that your music is doing that. And I, it, I'm less interested in labels that people use for categorizing you or any band as Christian or anything like that. I'm much more interested in the desire that I, it seems that you have to to write music. And since you carry a lot of the lyrical, you know, um, weight in the band, to write um, write music, uh, write lyrics that speak to ideas of hopefulness. And I'm really interested in where that comes from with you. Um, I mean, for me, it kind of started pretty quickly you know 
when, so our first singer left. He did Thrill Seeker and then left. Um, and then we didn't know where we were going to be vocal-wise. So we were like pretty deep into writing a record and having words done that we felt like we needed to write because we weren't sure who was going to do vocals for us. And we weren't sure if they were going to have to show up and literally just hop into a studio. Um, so that happened pretty quickly during that period because we were on tour and we're looking out at the crowd and it's a crowd of, at that point in our career, kids. And to me, I've always felt some sort of sense of responsibility to not like berate who were kids at that point with like lyrics that were really negative and really dark and, you know, not positive in any way, shape or form. Like it's okay to have angry lyrics um sure. anger is a, is a is a useful tool for sure but i think there's a comes a point where as a as a musician and then you know later as i became a dad to look out at the crowd and say do, how do i want people to walk away from this show do i want them to walk away thinking they've had a good and positive experience or do i want them to walk away like pissed off and angry and you know do i want them to go home and like be mean to their mom and dad no i don't like that's the thing it's like i feel like some sense of responsibility to not stand up there and like say horrible things to a crowd of young impressionable people and so that's just kind of where like that grew from and we've always just had that thing that you know even if we're gonna have a super angry lyric like there needs to be something in there that resolves in a positive manner and that's just because you never know who's listening and like I said, anger is good. Anger can be a tool for, for something better and for change. But I think you need to, in the song, show how you can use that anger for a positive change. And that's just because, like, we've been on tour with some bands who just say, like, the worst things you've ever heard to a crowd of kids. And I'm like, man, like, really? Like, they're going to go home and, like, what are they going to take away from this show? Like, that someone they look up to thinks that the world is the worst possible place they've ever been in and it like deserves to like be swallowed up by the sun i don't know like it's just <laughs> it's it's not like I, that just wasn't what we were into and i didn't and i, and I don't want to get get to that place like with this band yeah well you know um there's so many bands, but there are definitely thrusts thematically inside inside metal music that is is either narcissistic or nihilistic, um, and th exploring those themes is super valid and even valuable. Um, but there just are fewer bands, I think, that are coming at it with the idea that even if they're going to explore darker themes, they're going to they're going to um, temper it with some sort of message about um, living past the darkness. And mm -hmm. uh, for me, that's one of the huge values of your music is I, I, I get to have all of that, that rush of adrenaline that comes with the music that is so assertive vocally and rhythmically. Um, but the, the message kind of gives you that, at least me, gives me that chill of, um, it, it's almost like, um, what's the word? Um, it, it's like, Going, going to battle in defense of the good cause. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that, you can listen to our, you can listen to our music and not feel like you need to take a shower afterwards. Like it's, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's what we kind of go for. Yeah, it's um, 
I wanted to commend you on that. I think it's uh, it's not Thank that you. there aren't other bands that do that, but there. I think there are. Mm -hmm. I sure wish there were more that um, you know, uh, had some of this approach in in some of their music, and I think it's really really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, shock, shock for shock for a little while really helped sell. Sure. So you had a lot of bands that you know they go on Warp Tour and just get a crowd of teenagers super amped up saying like you know don't listen to your mom don't listen to your dad but they're obviously like throwing like every horrible word you've ever heard in your life in between that and then they're like we'll be at the merch booth afterwards if you want to come buy a t-shirt and it's like okay you're just like literally pandering to these kids that want to have some sort of sense of teenage angst and it's like okay i, I guess that's you know if you got to make money you got to make money but i think there's probably better ways to do it yeah it strikes me that um some of that comes from this place of trying to build identity through defiance um, yes, or the sure. strength, you know, somehow strength is this defiance is the same as strength. Um, yeah. And I like that. I like the, the, the counterpoint that your band and your lyrics have that there's strength to be had that, that is not about just defiance. Um, and there's so much in, in not just the most recent record guardians, which I want to talk about in a minute, um, that has to do with reaching out. You mentioned earlier, you know, there are there are religious um, groups, and it, I, I'm a person of faith, so I'm not trying to throw stones here. Um, yeah. Who who who? Sometimes they're thinking so much about a, an ultimate goal that they they forget some of the precepts of their own like um, values in the near term. Yeah. And um, what I, w one of the cool things that it comes through in your music is this idea that I think is a human virtue of extending a helping hand. And I know that sounds really maudlin, but I think it, I still think it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like you can help so many people and it doesn't, it doesn't really take a lot. Like you can just, it's as simple as like being nice to the homeless guy on the street. You don't have right. to give him a buck, but if you like, you know, if you nod your head and say hello, at least like it's as simple as just like treating other human beings as humans. And, you know, you don't like I said, you don't need to go super above and beyond, but you can you can do that and you can set a good example for people just in like a, the smallest things. Yeah. OK, we are back. We had um, uh, <laughs> I, I am going to the mea, I don't know some mea culpa I, as a 15 year Microsoft vet to have have windows crash on me while I'm talking to, to Brent from August Burns Red stings a lot <laughs> i will i will find people to um, berate later um but let's continue so um we had just been talking about um some of the lyrical content and um i just wanted to make this final point which is you know uh just generally speaking it, it feels like we have you know this is kind of a, an overarching statement they're just a dearth of um people extending that helping hand that we were talking about. Um, so it's just, an, for me, it's just another kind of um, affirmation of, I think one of the reasons your, your group has such staying power is because I think it's, it's the music for sure, but I think that it's, it's commended to your fans by more than that. Um, yeah. Okay. So having said that, let's move um, on to, um, uh, the most recent record. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Guardians, uh, and I know now it's been out for a little over a year. I think it was April third last year. Um, 
But there's there's a couple of songs on there that I I, I read and I, I searched your um, your interviews that I was trying I'm tr- I I just want to know more and I think fans are curious. Um, what is the narrative about? Like, what is the thematically? What are you addressing with that? So the narrative, and it was it's kind of odd as to when that you know when that song came out. <laughs> um, and, you know that was obviously. Like I said, I'm writing all the time. So the idea for the narrative, I wrote the narrative before Phantom Anthem came out. Um, and it was one that I really liked. I really, really liked that lyric. And Jake was just like, I don't know if I can find a home for that for this on this record. And I was like, all right. And then, you know, it came to Time to Guardians. I like went back, I spiced it up a little bit. And I was like, dude, we're using this. I'm like, this is good. I'm like, I really like this. And the whole point of that song is just kind of like it's it just becomes so much more like i guess it applies so much more to life now like you look at your social media feed and it's just filled with algorithms that are personalized just for you um and you only get fed what you believe and you have it's very rare that you get fed an outside of outside opinion when you pick up your phone or when you choose to watch it or whatever news source you choose to watch. Um, there's not much that challenges the way you think anymore. You know, whereas it used to just be straight up information in front of your face. Now it's, you know, optimized for you and for your viewing and just, you know, to keep you going and keep you clicking on things so that you read things that only you agree with and you read things that only you're interested in. And that was just that's a big problem to me. And it's kind of eliminated a lot of like free thinking, I think. Yeah. And it, it doesn't, you know, allow you to think outside of a box really because whatever you're constantly looking at in front of your face on your phone is definitely like just perfectly packaged just for you and for what you like. Yeah. And so I think people get, you know, really easily offended nowadays because they aren't used to anyone challenging their opinions or views. And so that was just kind of like, Last line of the song is power of the people or power of the narrative. It's like, do you have the power to make your own choices? Do you have the power to make your own decisions? Or are you going to follow exactly what gets put in front of your face every day? Yeah, it's the irony of, um, that's exactly the irony of the power of all of this AI is that it can tailor something to you. Um, but as a person who loves bookstores, uh, I hate um, Amazon algorithms. Um, mostly because they all they show me is some of the things I like uh, and the great new book that's real fresh and different I'm never going to see because um, it doesn't think I would be interested. Yeah. So a, yeah. I get what you mean. Um, um, it's a real, so that's a, I'm glad to know that I'm glad that I asked uh, what that's kind of put um, talking about. Um, I want to talk about bones a little bit. There's a lyric in there that yeah. says it's in, it's in our bones to be benevolent. It's in our souls to be of service. Um, it's in our bones to be benevolent. Uh, it's in our souls. So you're kind of talking, I think about, um, well, let me just ask you what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that song is just about, um, you know, it's specifically talking about, I guess, almost like how a lot of cultures are built upon. We constantly want to spread our way of thinking. And, you know, a lot of people think that the way they think is the best. They want to spread it into other cultures, into other countries, into other places. And there comes a point where you, you know, those people are going to fight back, I think. And 
so like you have the whole point of like you know most people are are welcoming people in general um most people want to help other people in like in a nutshell i guess but you know the whole the the last line of that you know it comes it's, there's a point in that line where it says you know we can be nice to you until you kind of put us through hell and then we're done and that's just there comes to a point where we can overreach too much and then you're no longer helping someone you're actually hurting them yeah. and that's just kind of what that song is about in in general there's you know some a more specific topic to that but it's just it's really really specific <laughs> so it's just, that's okay. only, it just be a boom over <laughs> on those heads, but that's kind of it in a nutshell yeah no that's good uh, and i agree i think that um um, it's important to lend a helping hand without um, overreaching. Uh, it's, a, yeah. it's, it's a really important point. The last one I want to ask about, and then we'll go on some other some other things, is um, Empty Heaven. I'm really yeah. interested, like, what is this addressing? Okay, so when – sorry, my dog is now barking. <laughs> <laughs> one second, let me just close this door. Um, okay, sorry. Anyway, yeah. So, Empty Heaven is kind of about. It's about pretty much when I was a kid, uh, and I grew up going to church when I was a when I was a kid. And you know, the pastor would always talk about. You know, when you get to heaven, there's going to be all these people that you know passed away before you. You're going to see your grandma, or your grandpa, all these people, and all that stuff. They're going to be there waiting for you in heaven. And I just remember sitting there thinking in church so one day, and I was like. But what if I die first? You know, like all of my grandparents were alive. Um, there had yet to be anyone who passed away like that I knew or cared about. And I was like, what if, like, what happens if you, you know, pass away and you go to heaven and no one's there? <laughs> like, <laughs> like that was like a real thought that I had like as a kid. And then, you know, I was having to think about that. And I was I'm like, what's an interesting way and kind of write about this and make it like more adult themed. And it's just kind of, and it's just kind of about that. Like, you know, like we all think we, like, if you're religious, um, I've kind of, you know, drifted away from being religious. And that's just because some of the things that we experienced earlier on in our career just really kind of it can turn you off a bit. Uh. But um, so like the whole thing is, it's just that everyone believes what they believe. Like, if you're an atheist, you believe that you just, when you die, you just go into the dirt. If you're, you know, a Christian, you, you know, go to heaven. If you're Buddhist, you get reincarnated and all these things. But like the whole thing is, and everyone is like, I know this. And it's like, do you actually know it? Like, do you know, have you talked to anyone who's been there? So that's the thing. Like, we all think we know something, but in the end, we don't really know anything. It's just a belief that you have. And that's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an int It's a, it, I had a sense of, of where you were kind of yeah. going with that, but I thought it'd be interesting to hear um, yeah. your take on it. Um, okay. So let's transition then. Uh, this is an interesting transition to Christmas. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you guys uh, like, I'll be honest, yeah. the fir very first uh, thing I ever heard from you guys was sleigh ride. Um, okay. And, and I love the Christmas stuff. I have my own, yeah. um, some of my, my fans know, uh, I have my own symphonic rock group called Symphony North, and 
um, I'm a big fan of Christmas yeah. rock and metal music. And so when I was writing my record, I was looking at hey, who else has done you know stuff, and I and I yeah. found um, Sledden Hill. So um, I wanted to ask, like, how did how did the idea to do sort of a metal Christmas thing even uh, become an idea for you? Um, it just kind of came about because randomly we wrote Carol of the Bells and we recorded that when we tracked Messengers, and it came out cool. It was super short. And it was just easy to track and get down. And then immediately our record label was like, all right, we got tons of interest for this song. Like as far as using it in things, it was the first time we ever got in a movie. Uh, got picked up on like by like Family Guy and all this stuff. And then like fans loved it. It's, I think still to this day, our most like purchased like individual song mm. that you can get. And um, so we were like, all right, people obviously like this. So we ended up just doing one every year until finally we just had some time in 2012 and we we're like all right let's just do a whole record and so we did that and we liked it because you know we liked looking outside of the box but at 2012 we hadn't really gotten extremely to that point yet and writing these christmas covers and songs was a way for us to um like almost really go outside of the box musically yeah. like a way that we hadn't done before and we could just kind of use the excuse that well these are for christmas songs <laughs> so yeah. um so that that was one of the big reasons we wanted to do it because we just knew that we could get away with being a little bit more ridiculous than we could on a regular record okay so that uh but then but then you guys took it a step further and you established this christmas burns red right it's a yeah. fest, a fe a fest sort of a festival or at least a yeah. multi-band concert every year right so we've, yeah, we've been doing a Christmas show for like 15 years, every year. Um, and that was something that was started by a promoter in our area had always done a Christmas show. And when we were first starting up, he had us play one of his Christmas shows. And then the year after that, we played it again. And then he was like, everyone's just coming to see you guys. This shouldn't be like my production company's Christmas show anymore. This should just be your annual Christmas show. Mm. And so that's what we did. We started doing an annual Christmas show every year. And then it just got to the point where the show would sell out in like days. And so we tried to do two nights at the club we were playing at. And then that would sell out really fast. But all right, now we're just going to go to the convention center and just do a festival. And so that's what we did. We did a two-day festival where we had like younger um, local acts. that was headlined by then a veteran local band that we toured with for a very first tour ever um they haven't been a band for a long time but they got together to play the show and they played the club we usually play and then on the saturday of the festival we had like the big festival lineup um for that day but and it was awesome it was great and then this past year you know we had to do it virtually which was fun but less fun for sure sure yeah yeah <laughs> um well that's something i may have to come to that sounds like right up my it's alley blast. Yeah, it's really fun. I mean, we don't play. Don't get me wrong. We don't play all Christmas songs. We usually play like three or four. Yeah. Because if we play all Christmas songs, people are like, "Why did you play this? Why did you play this?" And then our singer has nothing to do either. So uh, yeah, that's we, true. Yeah. So, but yeah, we play a bunch of Christmas songs, and it's a good time. Um, we decorate the stage ultra Christmassy and just kind of rip. Yeah. No, I I might put that on my calendar. Um, that's uh. That's right up my alley. Um, okay, so um, let's talk about 
uh, the 10th anniversary of Leveler. Um, you have a stream of this record coming up. Is it this Saturday? Yep. Okay, tell us where and what time so that we can make sure people tune in. It's super easy. It's just at abrlivestream.com. <laughs> and it's at 8 p.m. Eastern. Okay. And that's on demand for 48, it's on demand for 48 hours, as is all live stream things, it seems. Yeah, it seems to be kind of the 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 way. Um, yeah. Okay, so is, and it's, is it at that website address that people can get tickets? Yeah, it's like the one-stop shop. We bought, like, when I opened that Shopify store, we bought, like, every domain we could think of that we might ever want to use for this stuff. So literally augustburnsredmerch.com, abrlivestream.com, or abrleveler.com, all go to that place. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so that's where we go to get it. Now, the, the I was reading about um, – a uh, little bit more about this and you have some featured artists on this some guests tell us about that uh yeah it, it's funny we tried to do guests on the record because it's fun for us but usually everyone's so busy touring they're like man we just can't make that work but now no one was so right. <laughs> we got great guests like huge guests so we have matt Heafy from trivium um he does some guitar work and some vocals and then uh we have misha from periphery and uh, who rips the guitar solo and then Ryan Kirby from Pittsburgh King does vocals for us as well. And, you know, like I said, usually it's really hard to get people to do guest stuff because of everyone's scheduling, but this, you know, everyone, Matt and Ryan are both set up for, I guess Misha is too. They all just have Twitch streaming stuff. So they all have studio stuff pretty much at home. Right. And it's just easier than ever, which is awesome. Yeah, I think it's really exciting. Are we going to see those folks in the stream, or is that just for the record? The That's just for the record. You know, we talked about having them come up for the stream, but there's just a lot of logistic things. I think Misha lives in, like, California. They're all really far away. Yeah. <laughs> so that and, – and at the time when we were, like – when we would have had to, like, book flights for these people and get together and make sure that they could be well rehearsed, we weren't sure, like – where we'd be restriction wise. Yeah. Pennsylvania has been one of the most strict states and that's where we are. Yeah. Um, and so luckily everything's like kind of ripping now. So we're all good to go. But um, at the point when we would have needed to book flights and kind of get everything together, we just weren't sure where things would be. So we didn't, you know, we, we just kind of said, we're going to do this. It's just going to be a record thing. And then the live stream, you know, we'll just do it by ourselves. And you're uh, you're releasing this re-recorded version um, with these guests. And it didn't did I also read that you've also done some different solos uh, other than the guests? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the record is completely re-recorded. Yeah. So there's new guitar solos. Most of the songs have different tunings. Um, we changed some of the speeds. We added some harmonies here and there. We didn't really mess with the vocals too much, and that's just because we thought it would kind of really throw people off if you're singing along to like your favorite track off the record, and all of a sudden the words are different, yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, "Wait, I don't like yeah. that." So <laughs> we didn't do that. Um, and then you know we really hemmed and hawed over which version we should play on Saturday. We're like, should we do the new versions of the songs, or should we do the old versions of the songs? So. You know, and like I said, we'd really hand in hard over that. And, you know, you'll have to watch to see. <laughs> we'll, we'll tune in to find out. By the way, I absolutely love that you used the phrase hemmed and hawed. 
yeah. I don't know. It's super Dutch. I, I it's know. Super Dutch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know it. Um, but yeah. I, like, I don't know if that's like uh, uh, Pennsylvania. Your Pennsylvania showing through, <laughs> or yeah, what yeah, that yeah. is. We're super PA Dutch here. I mean, we got the Amish <laughs> right down the street. So that's amazing. I watch a horse and buggy. I watch horses and buggies get by my house all day long. So is that right? Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Well, I, you know the the um the the first thing that comes to mind, and this dates me a little bit, but the first um sort of band performer in the rock space that I knew came from Pennsylvania was uh, Brett Michaels from Poison. Okay. So you guys are on the yeah. other spe- end of the spectrum from that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. But he he's probably a bit Dutchy down there. He just doesn't know yet. Yeah. And not all not all of PA is like this. Like so my wife is from only an hour away and when she like she came we met in college and she did college up here in, in Lancaster and I'm like there's just stuff that you've never heard of even only an hour away that exists here. Like food and all kinds of weird expressions and things like that. That's just totally a pa dutch thing and that's just where we are yeah it's a diverse state going like west to east from pittsburgh to philadelphia uh yeah yeah it it definitely is (laughs) god you know you have this massive city and then most of it in between is farmland and then some mountains and then another massive city (laughs) yeah Yeah. i i know some other metal guys who live in philadelphia whose bands are kind of effectively in new york because it's not that far to get there yeah um Okay, so um, we've talked about um, uh, the new the live stream and the new the new record. By the way, you're releasing through your own label. Yeah, is we that... just decided to self. Go ahead. Yeah, we just decided to self release it. Um, just because we had the time, we're kind of in limbo right now as far as our record deal goes, um, deciding what we want to do, and you know, we had the time to just kind of put out ourselves. We know how to get a vinyl pressed. We know how to get a CD pressed. Right. And it wasn't hard to learn how to upload our own music. So, and we just kind of figured like, this didn't exactly need the marketing push and the money that a label would put behind a marketing push for it. Like, obviously like it's a refresher of a record, but still like if if you're not already a fan of the band and of the record, are you gonna stop in to check it out? That's just kind of how we felt, you know? Yeah. Um, this is like a for the fans kind of thing. And we just said, you know, we don't need to sign a record deal to do a re-recording of a record that we put out 10 years ago. So, so did you, did you effectively do it all in your own uh, personal studios? The recording we recorded, we recorded at this, um, studio that's close to us with the same producers we always use. Okay. Um, so we did go in the studio and record, we were able to do that and you know, it's, a great recording and it's with the like i said it's with the team that we've used for over a decade now okay um yeah okay so then um last then let's just talk a little bit about um what i call what's next for you personally uh are there creative mountains you want to climb musically or if other creative endeavors um if if and when time permits yeah for me for us musically and for me musically, I think that, you know, we just kind of want to keep evolving into what we are. You know, we don't have aspirations to break out and be some big radio metal band. You know, that's just not who we are. That's not yeah. like, that's not our sound. That's not really the direction we'd want to go. 
um, you know, we're thinking radio rock metal will evolve faster into accepting our music than we'd evolve faster into being a radio rock band. Yeah. So that just that's just kind of our thought press process, and I think you might be right. But um, but I think that you know, for us musically, we just want to keep making music that we like, and that's just kind of where we're at, and that our fans like. We're not we're not here to reinvent the wheel we've already have a niche of a sound that is our own and that people seem to like and there's a sense of loyalty to our fans that we need to have to just kind of thank them for being around for you know almost 20 years at this point (laughs) yeah well um and part of my question too is um do you have other like non-musical creative hobbies that that you know occupy your time um Man, creative hobbies, not, not so really. much. I mean, I like I said, I collect comic books. I guess that's oh, that's not creative on my end. No, that's that's um, good. Yeah, I mean, I like that. And then creatively, like, no, I think we. I just get so much of what I need creatively from writing words and then like learning guitar parts and all that stuff from the band. That a lot of times, if I want to sit down and do something, it's not really creative. It's more of on a meticulous level. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, I have my hobbies that comic book cycling. I just I lean I lean more towards other things um, in my downtime than I would, I guess, towards creative things. Yeah. What's your favorite comic, or at least one favorite comic? Uh, my favorite comic is a book called Why the Last Man, and it's um, oddly enough, it's about a it's an indie it's an indie book it's from image comics it's not like a superhero story or anything um it's a it's more of like a walking dead style story versus a superhero style story but um yeah it's about a guy who is the there's a virus that comes to the earth and it ends up wiping out only men and he's the last surviving male on earth and it's just him and his pet monkey they're the last like male chromosomes on earth and it sounds like a little bit silly, but it's not. It's awesome. It's really cool and just really interesting. And like, I think they're doing a TV show. They've been trying oh, nice. to do a movie or a TV show for this for like years. And the guy who wrote the comic book keeps saying, I don't like it. Next. I don't like it. Next. So but then they finally landed on something. But it's it's an awesome story and a really good read. I'll go look it up. I, I know what you mean, too, because... Um, I'm not a zombie fan. I kind of, at a high level, yeah. I think that the idea is silly. But when Frank Darabont, who, who's the director who did Shawshank and Green Mile, yeah. did Walking Dead, uh, it changed the game for me for, for zombie stories. So, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, that's cool. I'll take, a, I'll take a look at that. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not zombie at all. The book is no, zombie No, no, I, I get it. It's all, it's it's just, all living. It's just thoughtfully treated. It sounds like a concept yeah. at a high level seems like really, but then you dig in. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. So um, the last thing I wanted to talk about is touring. So I, I hit your website and you, you looks like, I mean, and I guess this is all just assuming that things proceed as they have been, but you guys actually yeah. get rolling in the fall pretty aggressively. Yeah. You know, we have a bunch of festivals in the fall um, and then, the Kilsuch tour is going to be sometime beginning of 2022. And then um, we were supposed to go to Europe at the end of this year, but 
sadly, Europe's not as far along in the U.S. Uh, currently, uh, as uh, not as far along, you know, as getting reopened up as the United States is. So um, that got pushed to October and November of 2022. But, oh, okay. you know, we're at a point where we're pretty hopeful that a lot of this stuff will actually happen. Um, I think that people are just very ready for it to happen. Yeah, you know, the music, right. in, the music industry has, you know, pretty much, well, I guess not the, music, the live event industry has pretty much given up their lives for the last 18 months for the, you know, for the greater good of everybody else. So <laughs> I think that, I think that it'll get rolling and I think people will be happy to come back. So there are the, there are some, some domestic dates, but then there still are a bunch of dates on the website for the fall. Maybe I missed the year on those, but you're saying that yeah, those are 22 now. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I will say that that first date, which is I think September 11th, is incarceration, which is at the Ohio yep. State Reformatory, where they shot yeah. Shawshank Redemption. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I took I I I am such a fan of that show. I flew to Cleveland, drove down to okay. Mansfield, and did the tour and all of the oh, and yeah. So if you get a chance to to tour the reformatory while you're there, if you haven't before, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, awesome. And the the festival I'll tell folks um it's like two three days and has it's it's stacked like uh yeah the lineup's huge yeah yeah it's gonna be great uh, and you can get a tattoo if you're yeah oh yeah so, I won't be doing that <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a tattoo person but I literally it's, have one I have one and it's just my ring finger that's it <laughs> but they the um that's part of it like you know ink 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 incarceration but um yeah. So that'll be after the live live stream this Saturday. Yep. Um, I guess this was a lot. I did have one other question. Have you guys, um, maybe you can't talk about this. Have you done any writing for, uh, for a future release with any of this downtime? Yeah, I mean, we're always writing. You know, the That's songs true, you are said complicated that. enough that it, it takes a long time to write one. So yeah. we're constantly in a state of writing material. Like if there's downtime, at all we're writing and even on tour at this point we're kind of writing then too yeah well good um all right brent man thanks so much for spending some time we will do uh, put a link to your live stream and all of the places where we we drop this and uh keep at it man I, it, it matters that you guys are doing such such great music that has um some hopeful messages i think it's really cool thank you very much all right well you take care yep you too thank you okay bye-bye Right.